how's it going, everybody? Welcome to Found Flicks. On this thing explain, we're looking at the third VHS film, VHS Viral. In our weakest batch of segments yet, a Los Angeles police chase sends a fame-obsessed man on a wild ride to save his girlfriend from a cybernetic terror broadcasting from an ice cream truck. Yeah. The third VHS acts as the culmination of the series up to this point, and it is a bummer that the outcome is so lackluster. It almost feels like there was a purposeful choice to move into a different kind of tale compared to the first two films, as there is a severe lack of scares and more traditional horror on display. They opt for a wider variety of styles that are more all over the place than ever before. There's also one less segment with each entry, meaning there's only three along with the atrocious wraparound, making it feel quite lightweight overall. It's not all bad, and honestly, each segment does have some clever moments and highlights, like the magic fight in Dante the Great, and the many shocks of parallel monsters. Bearded demon penis, anyone? Yes, please. It all comes together in the wraparound that builds on the ideas of the previous entries. The concept of these cursed tapes that cause death and begin to spread in all new ways. So let's check out VHS 3, breaking down each segment and their endings, along with the wraparound that implies things are only beginning, curse-wise. We press play on another video of Doom, as a girl Iris poses on the edge of a bridge. She smiles. I love this place, but why is it called a river? Yeah, that's the LA River for you, pretty much empty. Kevin reminisces that he came here as a kid, and she declares that it's their new spot. Not to cover his old memories, but to make new ones of their own. Kev continues filming her, and she turns the camera on him, both engaging in some silly banter. Don't turn it on me, no! He films her later in the kitchen, zooming in on her ass, and gives her a scare. Back at the bridge, she is happy that he records her all the time. It means that he loves her, she thinks. Yet his obsessive filming eventually gets on her nerves as he tapes her doing her toenails. She later shoots herself wondering why is it that he is so fascinated with this thing, and vogues for the camera. She breathlessly says, don't keep me at arm's length, she's more fun in the flesh. She teasingly pulls down her top, and she hears arguing off screen. Kev comes in upset, and is even more pissed seeing that she's using his camera. Later on the TV, there's a police pursuit of an ice cream truck, and Kev excitedly realizes it's happening just down the street. She rips on him, asking, what is it you think will happen? This is gonna go viral and he'll get famous? Clearly he does, and she calls him sick, and tells him to put the camera down. He foolishly thinks this is his big chance. Don't you want to be part of something bigger than you? The sirens are just outside, and he catches the tail end of the police roaring by. He runs through the house, but by the time he gets outside, he's just missed them. Shoot! Another cop arrives on the scene, and as a annoyed by his filming. There's discussion of the chase, and thanks to social media, there is already tons of footage capturing everything from every angle. Iris stares blankly at her phone and is put into a trance, walking out into the street. On his phone, there's a strange countdown, and she continues walking. Out of nowhere, the ice cream truck plows right into the cop, tearing him into paces. Kev gets a distorted call from Iris, and tracking takes over to our first segment, a faux documentary on the downfall of the magician Dante the Great. Must have been pretty serious whatever happened, as his former assistant Scarlett is interviewed on the matter by police. He impressively has his own show at a fancy theater, and it gets raided by the SWAT team. The interviewing cop asks about a tape she brought in, and she tells him she found it in a hidden compartment. The SWAT team hits a button, revealing a camera and stack of tapes hidden in a breaker box. According to her, he recorded everything as he always needed an audience. As he's arrested, he even thanks everyone in the crowd for coming out. His rise to prominence was quite quick, as only two years ago, he was in dire straits living in a trailer park. His mother recalls him doing tricks for neighbors boasting that he was really good. He shows off some card tricks, but the guys aren't exactly impressed. Everything changed when he came in possession of a mysterious cloak, and no one knows where he got it from. The rumors are that Houdini himself once owned the cloak, but its power frightened him, seeing him make girls materialize out of thin air. Dante tapes himself first interacting with it, and he commands it to rise, which it does to his excitement and shock. He then pulls a rabbit out from a spot 
nearby, and it truly appears that he has real magic powers at his fingertips. He was then thrust into fame and the big time. His shows were the hottest ticket in town. They interviewed some baffled audience members. One couple was even transported magically across coast, which they are pissed but still impressed by. Dante declares today's magic is dead. You can Google any simple trick to find its secrets, but vows that no one will ever discover his. With the rabbit, he kills it and splits it open and is able to produce fireballs from his hands. Cool. I could do that, but you gotta feed it. Even though he almost blows up the whole place, he continues his practicing. Yet frustratingly, he finds the cloak isn't doing its thing. He seems to talk to it, and as he grabs the camera, his face flashes to a demonic red one. Scarlet explains the power is based on what's inside of the wearer, but you still have to feed the cloak to keep its power. Thusly, he descends upon a girl in the shower and feeds her to the cloak. A clawed hand appears in shadow and slashes her up good, blood splattering all over the daggum place. Over time, more and more people in Dante's vicinity turned up missing, yet no bodies were ever found. He sacrifices another lady while asleep in bed. He places the cloak over her and doesn't chant. The clothing starts to rise and attacks her, flinging her all around the room. Scarlet is asked about when she first met Dante, and she admits to being nervous, but did feel an instant connection, as though they were meant to be working together. She too had big dreams of being a magician herself, but frustratingly, no one would ever reveal any of Dante's secrets. He was able to pick up on this, encouraging her that it takes years to learn, and suggests to put all that aside to go out for some dinner. She turns him down and learn that she has an abusive ex-boyfriend, Clay. And Dante happens to see him being abusive. As for her relationship with Dante, they did get closer, but she clarifies it was never romantic. He shows off a trick to her, making binds appear on her hands, and happily shows her how to do it. They set up the camera, and she does the same hand motion, and just like that, does the trick herself. Naturally, all the murderers started pointing towards Dante, and of course, he set his sights on Clay. He confronts him and snaps his limbs until breaking his neck. Well, good thing I filmed all that, definitely not incriminating in any way whatsoever. Wouldn't the cops see all this footage too and be like, what the fuck is going on? It all results in the SWAT team raiding his theater on the verge of another sold out show. Scarlet recognizes that the cloak does have some kind of effect on Dante, but the cop refutes anything supernatural going on here. The guy is just a sociopath. Until you see the cloak eat the lady, I mean, you know, you can't really argue with that. After getting loaded into the police car, he tells us it's time for the finale and he disappears from the backseat, the cop finding that he's been handcuffed. Dante reappears right at the lens. She knows now that what he is doing is real magic. And just as he scoffs, there's no such thing as magic, she is magically whisked away. Well, now you look like an idiot, don't you copy? She confronts him over killing all those girls, but he argues it wasn't really him, it was the magic. The SWAT team are back, and he impressively fins off the entire team with his magic. He welcomes them to the show, and turns one of their guns on the others, then setting them ablaze, tossing him away. As another approaches, he sends them flying into a bed of spikes. Reinforcements arrive, and he takes cover in his cloak, but they are able to get a shot in. They tell him to surrender, and Dante switches positions into that of a SWAT team guy. He surprisingly kills him and gives a limp ta-da, kinda. That was pretty sweet. Scarlet gets the cloak first, and they fight for its possession. After some teleporting around, he gets back at it and unleashes fireballs at her. He sends her up the wall and joins her in the gravity-defying fight. He unleashes a flock of doves sitting under the floor, and he vanishes. He doesn't want to sacrifice her, but at this point, she has left him no choice. He places the cloak on her and does his chant, hearing demonic whispers. She turns the tables on him and does the rope trick that he showed her, binding him up along with a long line leading right into the hungry cloak. And he gets gobbled up. Afterwards, no one knows for sure what happened to Dante, with some believing that he's out there somewhere, planning his big comeback. As for the cloak, Scarlet burns it up in a trash can, hearing shrieks as it lights ablaze. Unsurprisingly, that isn't enough to dispense of the evil presence, as later back at home, the closet door behind her pops open, seeing the cloak is there hanging on the hook. She starts to reach out for it, and demonic arms come out and suck her into it. Well, so we get that this cloak bestows its wearer magical abilities of all kinds, but 
but it comes at an evil cost. You gotta keep the thing fed for the powers to keep working, which these two found out the hard way. Who knows how long this thing has actually been around, but since it seems indestructible, I'd imagine it's quite a long time, and will no doubt go on inevitably to another ill-fated owner. Don't mess with evil magic, kids. Back with the ice cream truck chase, Kevin tries to call Iris. When she answers, the video is all distorted, and she cries for his help. I don't know what they're gonna do to me! Amongst the glitches, there is at least one familiar image, the siren from Amateur Night back in VHS 1. Iris shrieks, and the call blips away. Another schmo is seen staring at gross imagery interspersed with Iris crying. Looks like he's been zombified. A group of hopeful viral videographers have gathered to attempt to catch the best footage of the chase, their phones all out hungry to get the shot. One guy really goes for it and climbs even higher, dismissively telling the others that he'll see them on YouTube, bitches. His greed is his downfall as he slips and plummets to his death just as the truck drives by. Worth it, Kevin is still following after on his bike and shouts for the truck to slow down. He bumps into some other bikers, also trying to get footage. They're initially annoyed that he messed up their shot, but Kev knows that the truck is going to come back around. It's going in circles on purpose. Vicious circles? It comes back for another round and one of the bikers gets caught up in the rear and drags him away. They team up to try to help him out and noticing a hand is holding onto him from inside. He reaches out, but they can't quite get to him as the truck picks up speed. His feet begin getting torn up on the pavement, worn down to bloody stumps. One foot even comes clean off and causes his buddy to crash and nearly get run over. Watch out for flying feet around here. In our next segment, we follow a scientist as he successfully creates a door into another dimension with expectedly disastrous results. It seems that he has been quite obsessed with his work and when his wife wants him to come to bed, he shirks her, but he promises to be as fast as he can. He slates for his next configuration test, revealing what sure looks like an interdimensional doorway. He powers each part of the device on and a barrier is lowered. Energy begins to charge up and he narrates about his latest test. He then loses his words when the lid rises and he sees what appears to be an exact mirror copy of his own workspace on the other side. A peek into a parallel dimension. An alternate Alfonso sheepishly steps out and the other does the exact same thing, both with dumbfounded smiles. He learns they share names in common and they're even both married to Marta. Their lives really are all the same, Alf asks. Guess so, he agrees. Alt-Alf is still in awe of all this. We both built the same machine that works the same way. He steps into the barrier and reaches out, making the camera begin to fritz. He takes a few cautious steps forward and he knows they're both thinking the same thing, right? They gotta check out their other selves universe. Alt-Alf takes the final steps over and nothing happens, but it is still a big deal. The pair are now occupying the same space. They agree to meet back here in 15 minutes, just long enough to try out their respective new universes. Alf retrieves his camera and makes his way through the barrier to the other side. Alt-Alf smirks that he'll see him in 15, but Alf stops him, urging him to be careful with his Marta. He agrees and of course knows exactly which room she sleeps in, the same one as in his universe. They both venture into the other's houses and Alf is taken aback. He's walking into a universe right next to him and the house is the exact same but reversed as his own. That is until he notices a curious photo featuring a ring of symbols along with a bag of blood of some sorts on a display in the middle. Things only get stranger when he follows moaning sounds and bumps into alternate Marta in the kitchen. She pops some champagne and ushers him to come along. There's two other dudes that show up and I'm sure Alf is like, uh oh, what is going on here? Alt Alf steps into the dark bedroom and clicks on the night vision. Marta sleepily tells him to come to bed and Marta calls them back inside. It's gonna be a good time, baby, oh yeah. Alt Alf sets down the camera and the others all enter the main room to a bizarre looking ritualistic setup. There's footage of someone being sacrificed on TV, a constellation stars map on the ceiling and that weird blood bag on display like in the photo. She invites him to sit down and tells the others that her husband likes to go first. The guys are cool with it. Cool with what exactly? I am not sure. She turns on a light under the bag and offers him to go for it whenever he wants. Everyone's staring on in anticipation. Uh, is it like a P 
pinata or something or I don't know what I was supposed to do here. Meanwhile, Alf 2 begins to snap photos of his sleeping Marta and keeps going and going with a stupid grin on his face. With the others, things get awkward and the guys decide to leave to Marta's disappointment. And after they leave, our Alf knows something is definitely off in this universe. He peers out the window and asks her about a strange noise, but based on her reaction, he should already know what it is. It seems that Alt-Alf's obsession with portal experimentation has taken a toll on their marriage. Her complaining that he's been down in that basement for months. She's also upset at his seeming excitement in joining the weird bag ceremony, but the way he acted hurt her feelings. A light beam passes by the window along with more strange sounds, and he excuses that he'll be right back. He runs out the front door, hearing a strange voice over a PA. There's what could only be described as an airship flying above on patrol, adorned with an upside-down cross symbol. Yeah, this universe is definitely a lot more different than he initially thought, this making it seem like it's run by some kind of evil regime, though the alarming differences are brought to a whole new level when he bumps into the other dudes, and things get aggressive. Elf 2's eyes begin to glow and he grabs at his pants. The other guy's eyes have also started to glow and they corner our Alf. They want to know what his problem is. Alf deflecting, everything is fine. What do, you, what do you mean? You're with your crazy glowing eyes and everything. I'm cool. They knock him down, causing him to drop his camera and he runs off into the woods. They overtake him and both drop their pants. Uh oh, where are we going here? Out of their privates, a weird long creature thing emerges with beard hair and a little face and everything. Ugh, looks kind of like a, a turkey head. <laughs> it sniffs him curiously and he stabs it with a screwdriver. He pants back to the house and runs into a concerned Marta seeing all the blood. She then thinks that he must have been up to something with the boys and was filming it for them. She lustfully undoes her robe, exposing her frightening claw-filled lady parts. Oh boy. Yikes. He socks her and runs downstairs to the dark basement. Down there, the copies run into each other and seeing the blood, Alf 2 thinks that he did something to Marta. He throws down the camera and takes his screwdriver to his Satan dick doppelganger. Alf 2 passes through the barrier back to his world, but is stopped in his tracks by Marta. She asserts that she's exercising her right to domestic and munches down her face with her writhing fang demonic womb. Whoa! Our Alf pulls the lever and drops the barrier, crying for his Marta's help. She eventually comes out looking shell-shocked after seeing her faux husband's evil penis. Not knowing that there are two different versions, she stabs her husband violently to death. Well, talk about the dangers of alternate dimensions, am I right? Might look the same, but everyone's got weird evil creatures for their private parts. Ain't that always the way? The weirdest thing I keep thinking of is the... How would that even work? It's not like you just open it up and put the put the thing in and then she just doesn't close it because otherwise it's just gonna, you're not gonna have a penis anymore <laughs> or whatever they call that. The chase has made it to the local news and Kevin keeps pedaling on his tail. It turns around again and we join a group of gangbangers having a celebratory barbecue for someone getting out of jail. A helicopter beams down on their party and everyone gets paranoid that someone must have turned them in. They turn on each other and the camera glitches out. When it comes back, the main dude's dog has a barbecue tong in its head to everyone's surprise. There's another blip to the aftermath and the entire crowd has been impaled with various kitchen utensils. That guy's got a bit of an attitude problem. He looks back to the kid taping everything, sternly telling them to erase the tape. Kev bikes by, and a gas canister is on the loose. She drops to the ground, seeing Iris on her phone, and the gas causes a massive explosion, taking the entire block out. We then move on to Bone Storm, where a pair of skater friends get unknowingly thrust into a supernatural showdown. Danny and Jason have hired another kid, Taylor, as a director to help take their skate vids to the next level. They first pull off an extremely impossible roof jump trick, but get spoiled by someone telling 
allowing them to leave. Taylor doesn't apparently think their tricks are up to snuff and decides to keep pushing things further. When setting up for another trick, he tells the guy it's all clear, yet a Jeep is barreling right towards him. So he lets the kid get smashed by the car, and even worse, when asking if he got the shot, he shrugs that the battery fell out. How would that even happen? This guy, you're unprofessional guy. The boys are irritated. Why are we even paying this guy? They film at another park, and Taylor has some GoPro-laden helmets for them to catch every angle. They pull off some more moves, and after accidentally pissing off another dude, get into fisticuff with his buddies. They get kicked out of there as well, and Taylor has an idea for a new spot to film. A totally secret spot down in Tijuana. Problem is, they don't have any gas money to get there, but their salvation happens to walk up. Some kid who has his dad's credit card. They raise some worries about the safety down in Mexico, but Taylor assures them it's fine now. His reassurance is enough for some reason to send them south of the border, where they explore a bit and grab some fireworks. Out in the streets, they happen upon a dark-eyed girl, chanted about their beloved blood being aflame. Our creature will be unleashed. They think nothing of it and continue on their way to the secret spot. Along the way, they are surprised by what appears to be an earthquake. They then make it to their destination, and there's more curious rumbles. That's not the only curious thing, as the entire area is covered in runes, along with a memorial to those that have passed. They at least acknowledge the place is a bit weird, but refuse to turn back after the long trek. It's fine. I'm sure it's of no concern. Taylor again pushes them further, demanding to do a front flip from a barrel. They light up the fireworks and skate around for a bit. Things take a turn when Danny whiffs and injures his arm. He bleeds out right onto the main symbol in the middle, causing it to start to steam. Uh-oh, remember what the lady in town was saying about spilling blood and unleashing creatures? The same lady then appears there to their confusion, debating if she's like a wizard or something. Taylor introduces himself proudly as the director and zooms past, seeing another guy there groaning. He holds out his hand and she straight rips his arm off to everyone's horror. More and more figures saunter towards them down the ridge. Amongst them, one guy holds a paper reading, you will unleash our creature. Well, seems pretty obvious. Just get the hell out of there, boys. As they descend upon them, the boys fight back with their gun that they have, as well as bashing them up with their boards, which causes more blood to land on the symbols. One shouting out, the crackheads have fire blood. More keeps spilling on the runes, and the fire really gets ablazing. Gas Money Kid starts to run, only to get a knife through the back of the head. The duo are overwhelmed by more guys showing up, but they encourage to keep fighting. He digs through the memorial and grabs a bone, jamming it through his oppressor's neck, as his buddy pelts another with his board into submission. The first lady is then seen at the top of the ridge and walks off. They set the mood with some rap music and get back to bashing skulls. One guy with a fleshy face gets on top of him, and he wields a sword to take him out, washing off his flaming blood. He proudly shouts his kill count, 13 so far, and tosses his head away. They can't believe that they killed the other guys, and they move on, hearing growling and dust rising from the sewer drain. The dead members all rise to their feet, now as skeletons, and the bros run for their lives. They pass through a tunnel and come to more of the Skelly gang waiting. They take one out with a skateboard, decapitating him. Danny sets off fireworks, skating around as a distraction. It works for more than that, when another creep show grabs him, and he stuffs the fireworks down his robes. It explodes, and they pop into bone dust. His friend is being tagged, and he kicks the guy off, planting another bomb. The skeleton flips him off before exploding. They quickly pedal away, just happy they're not dead, and vow to not stop going until they reach the border. However, something is slowing them down, and they stop to remove some gore from the skateboard's wheels, seeing another group gathering up top. Moments later, the creature emerges from the tunnel wheezing. We don't really get a good look at it, but do spot a tail when it comes to Taylor's body. It then hungrily devours him along with the camera. That's it. <laughs> this one is unique as our lead characters actually survive. I mean, sure, they unleash some kind of evil being, but they didn't get killed, at least that we saw. So good on them. This one feels almost coincidental, really, as it is Taylor that knows of the cursed location. But I also don't think he knew what he was leading the skaters to. He was just kind of an idiot. Same for the boys, honestly. Point being, either way, they inadvertently spill blood. And this is what resurrects 
resurrected the Mexican Colts Demon Pal. If they hadn't hired Taylor, none of this would have happened. This aspect does in some ways tie into the bigger story, as it's due to their desire for fame that all this happened. As we circle back to our framing story one more time, the situation has escalated further from earlier, with police reporting 11 fires are burning out of control in the city, and they urge everyone to stay inside. Kevin bumps into another new turn zombie on her phone, looking dazed with a bloody nose. The curse is definitely spreading quickly. We move on to a man and woman in the back of a taxi, where he's hoping to film some lurid content. She starts to do a little striptease as directed, but then stops, asking if he recognizes her. He sleazily tells her he doesn't, as he's at this eight days a week, and she continues to play along. She starts to talk dirty, and he stops her, telling her it's better if you don't talk. Ugh. She seductively begins to rob herself, and then pulls out a revolver, demanding his camera. She takes it and turns things on him. Let's see your body, and demands that he strips. He fearfully does, as told, her sarcastically leering that he's the whole package. The guy does recognize her now, and as she says, so do millions of others thanks to his website. He excuses that he just paid for the footage, he didn't film it, and she has an idea for some payback, shooting his dick off. He screeches that he learned his lesson and promises to take down her video. She sees an opportunity still with injuring him, knowing that people would pay for weird stuff like that. He lunges at her and chokes her, cackling, who's got you now? Out of nowhere, a flying, out of control police car smashes right into the windshield, and on the screen, Iris appears. It turned into total mayhem out there, apparently. Golly. Early in the morning, Kevin continues his never-ending chase after the truck. Along his path are scattered several cell phones, still illuminated. Down in the basin of the river, the same spot where he filmed with Iris in the opening. He finally catches up to the truck. As he gets closer, he finds a body, along with several other body parts, as though there's a wave of violence and death emanating from the truck. He hears a woman screaming inside, and then audio from earlier plays about him being obsessed with his camera. He rounds to the driver's side, and bizarrely finds there were only two disembodied hands at the wheel. I mean, that's ridiculous. There should at least be a foot on the pedal, you know? He enters the truck, and uh-oh, it is a bunch of stacked up TVs, just like in the first two movies. I missed you a little bit. Each screen shows his face, and one then turns to Iris. You're filming, aren't you? She asks, and knowing he is, calls him a good boy. That means he's a part of it now. He claims that he doesn't know what she's talking about, but she disagrees, pointing to a big, ominous button marked Upload. She informs him they've been filming us the whole time, and he realizes the entire truck is full of cameras. She eggs him on, calling him sick. We're all sick, she asserts, so just start the upload, buddy. He refuses, and she throws his own words back in his face. Don't you want to be part of something bigger? He tries to explain what this thing is already well aware of. These videos fuck people up. She starts beating herself against the wall, grunting for him to do it. He relents, not wanting her to hurt herself anymore, and shakily reaches for the button. He cranks it, and the TV changes to an uploading screen. Kevin cries at his actions. What did I do? Seeing the screen cycle through several previous segments in the series. It's all tied together, see? Well, sort of. She returns to bashing herself good, laughing this is gonna go viral, as her face becomes completely covered in blood. He runs out back and finds her body on the side of the truck with a phone jammed in her mouth, meaning he definitely wasn't actually talking to her. She was already dead. He yanks out the phone and it's still filming, and his nose begins to bleed, indicating he will become yet another brain-dead zombie victim of the VHS curse. And thanks to him and his spread in unbelievable ways already, as we come out to a wider shot of LA, there's blinking lights everywhere, and a helicopter circles chaotically, knowing the whole city will soon fall. Well, thanks a lot, Kevin. Hope you're happy now. I think the point is made pretty obvious by the end, but we over the series seen the spreading of the VHS curse. The way it spreads is when you watch a tape that was part of the initial curse and then tape that. As a result, you and the new tape are now part of the curse's grander whole. Kind of like a chain thing. We saw this via videotapes initially, but Viral adapts this to more modern times with our ubiquitous use of cell phones. It's another example of a well-worn trope. Social media, along with our noses buried in our cell phones, is turning us into brain-dead zombies, all hungry for fame. 
Not exactly the most novel idea, but it seems in the end that the curse was essentially able to take over the world, rapidly spreading at an unstoppable degree, thanks to uploading the curse to the internet. No more tapes for this curse. This time it's gone viral. Oh yeah. That brings us to the conclusion of this Inning Explained for VHS Viral. Don't forget, before we go, you can see me request for any movies or TV shows you'd like to see me explain by sending them my way on any of my social media accounts at Foundflix. What did you think of VHS Viral and its ending? What's your favorite segment this time? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow. Thanks for watching Foundflix. See you next time.